Messiah and the Parable, Part 1. When is a story just a story? That's today on Messiah and Life. Jesus and how he used word pictures to express and explain the kingdom of God to his audience, those who were listening, how he would draw on everyday circumstance, things that were familiar to them and their walk of life, their setting, their culture, their context of the day. Through the next several weeks of podcasts, we'll consider various parables, rabbinic uh, parallels to the Christian parables that we read of in the Gospels and how they help us to better understand the teachings of the Messiah so that we can share with clarity, with confidence, and with authority the message of the gospel as we go to share with those who are around us. So the parables of Messiah. As we do quite often, I like to do a little overview, and this podcast will be an overview of the parable itself and the purpose of their usage in the New Testament and even classical Jewish thought. But most of us, if we think about it, we can probably remember hundreds of different stories relating to life, to family, whether they be of a personal, a moral, or comedic, or even societal uh, content. The truth is that most people remember stories or life sketches, we might say, better than even the most highly polished, professionally spoken sermon. A leading Hebraist and expert on the subject of Jewish parables, Dr. Brad Young writes, A good story can drive home the point better than a sermon. Often an earthly illustration says so much more than a lofty homily. So as I prepare uh, messages for Messiah Congregation week after week, I quite often will reflect on a story. Maybe I'll share it, but maybe I won't. But I want to use that as a as a guide, we might say, to articulate and convey the meaning of what the Lord is laying on my heart, to bring them to the point of the message. And it's been my experience that people quite often remember the story and the lesson from it more vividly than they do the actual uh, message that I gave. They'll remember, oh, I remember when you told that story. But all of that helps to bring us to a greater understanding and a retention and life application of what's being spoken and why it's being spoken. Why are we taking the time to explain this subject, this um, point of uh, gospel content? How does it relate to our life? So, with regard to the New Testament and Talmudic parables, the point of word pictures created by the parable was to reveal to those listening the nature and the character of God. The reality of God was conveyed in word pictures that we call parables. And Jesus would often use this parabolic language, and we'll see in a moment just how expansive that was. But Jesus, Yeshua, and the rabbis, um, they weren't yet called the rabbis, they were more sages at the time. They would use these concrete illustrations to reach the heart and the imagination of their audience, their students, in order to convey 
some aspect of God's character. They challenged the mind, even the most uh, highly intellectual person. They would use these simple stories to relate, to penetrate, and to speak into the very soul of the person that was listening to them. Sometimes the most complex matters regarding religious faith and human experience. So, on one hand, these finite terms, we might say, um, that we speak in these finite terms in order to reveal the infinite God, he who is beyond our human comprehension. And as we do so, we reveal the majesty of him. We reveal who he is in his fullness, even using, you know, these amazing images to convey that by looking out at a sunset, a sunrise, and so on. The stories from daily life help us to capture even a glimpse of him. So, it was not outside the uh, the realm of common practice in the first century and the spiritual life that was cultivated within Judea and the Galilee to use um, this experience of the agrarian, temple-centric, covenanted people of God living under foreign occupation to use these pictures, to use these stories, to convey the reality that shaped their worldview and to use uh, the colloquial language expression in order to do so. So, Messiah Jesus lived within that cultural milieu and he spoke that language. He understood that language. And because of that, he was able to connect to his his uh, students, his hearers, those who confronted him, those who challenged him. He was able to do so through parabolic language. So, due to a great cultural disconnect, we might say, many commentators of later centuries sometimes allegorized some or all of the parables of Jesus, believing that they really concealed some hidden mystery of God. But the purpose was not to conceal truth or to um, have something mysterious uh, hidden away that we had to somehow come to uh, understand, but rather it was a pictorial representation that instructed all of us, those of that day and we who are in this day, about the realities of the living God and the decisions he desires us to make in our own lives. So, the parables enabled the hearer to see things as the Lord sees them. And they see human beings really from God's point of view. How does the Lord see us and what does he expect of us? How does the parable challenged the listener to respond to his eternal message. So, they take these sometimes abstract ideas that seem, you know, ideas that seem rather abstract of spiritual values and enable the audience to visualize them in very concrete terms. Quite often, I'll say, put flesh and blood on the people that we read of in Scripture. But I also will say, put flesh and blood on the commandments as we read them, as we study them. That way, as we meditate on the commandments of God, we can see ourselves in a situation or look back on a situation that we were in where we should have applied uh, the prohibitive or perhaps permissive aspect of a command to bring the situation to a godly conclusion. 
So, we put flesh and blood, and that helps us to, in our mind, meditate on what the Lord is expressing through the command. So, this is why it's important the parables not be removed from the people group who heard them, who enjoyed them, because it was spoken in the language of their understanding. The immediate meaning wasn't always apparent. They had to think about it. Sometimes they wondered, questioned, what does this mean? I mean, the apostles would go to Messiah and say, um, hey, um, uh, Lord, what does that mean? So, some would perhaps say that the parables are too simplistic, too pedestrian even to be taken seriously. But the Talmud says this, let not the parable be lightly esteemed in your eyes, because by means of the parable, a person can master the words of the Torah, the words of the law. So, the sages of Israel point out, that a parable can take the form of a halacha, a midrash, or um, a haggadah. So, it can be a story, it can be a Jewish ruling, or a biblical exposition. So, these would convey the meaning of the Torah, the meaning of the law, or a section of the Bible that would be opened for a person, either through the storytelling or through uh, a better exposition of, uh, or a more complete exposition of a ruling that, that the rabbis made, or through the midrash, the searching of the, of the Bible in order to bring forward the truth and the meaning of it. So, for that reason, we understand why Messiah taught the way he did. Although he didn't, he did teach and interact with the religious elite of his day, of course, his uh, primary audience was the average Jew, was the man of the earth, we would say. And he reached out to them, again, in the language of their understanding. In his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Edesheim writes this, perhaps no other mode of teaching was so common among the Jews as that of parables. Only in their case, they were almost entirely illustrations of what had been said or taught, while in the case of Christ, they served as the foundation for his teaching. So, in order to verify, we might say, the point that uh, Edersheim is making, if we look at the Synoptic Gospels, we find that a third of the teachings of Messiah were in the form of parables. Why? Well, because of the purpose of parables. It was not to conceal a mystery, but to instruct to direct its hearer to a response. So, Jesus was speaking within the cultural framework of first century Judaism, as we would call it now. And he would masterfully use the parable to reach the heart of his audience. Through their imaginations, they could see themselves in it as he created this, what we might say, a culturally pertinent illustration that brought the word of God to life for them in a meaningful way. So, he expressed spiritual truths with agricultural, social themes that were familiar to them. Why? Because he lived among them. He knew what they experienced. He experienced it himself. And he did so to bring them to a new understanding with regard to the Lord and their walk with him. So, what does parable mean? Well, the Hebrew word mashal or parable has the basic meaning of similarity or resemblance. In Greek, parabole means what is cast alongside. Now, these are not identical meanings to each other, 
But both the Hebrew and the Greek words for parable express a likeness between what we might say the elements used in the illustration and that which they are portraying. So the usage of parable was to bring the hearer to a point where they understood better the relationship between themselves and the Lord as well as their fellow man. So to be effective, a parable had to be in the language that is understandable to the audience, challenges the audience, uh, audience and even provokes them again to a response. How are they going to respond to what is being taught? And that is part of the effective use of parable. And we would even say modern day story. When we share a story, it's, it's not just um, to fill time. It's not just to be relatable, but it's, it's rather to help people see how do we, how do we respond appropriately? And what is our appropriate response within any situation? But we also have to communicate that effectively for the audience. I am uh, a Westerner. I live in the United States of America. The stories that I may share within the 50 states uh, that make up the United States may not translate well to an Eastern culture as I've taught in India or I've taught in Africa. They usually will translate fairly well uh, as I've taught in, uh, in Central and South America, but they, you have to be mindful of the audience that you're speaking to. And if you have some type of connection or familiarity with them, you might be able to draw a lesson, a life lesson that connects to them. Even though you might not have experienced it, perhaps you're aware of a story or a point in history that speaks to them that they will relate to. So that's one of the most important aspects of sharing this type of illustration, this parabolic language. So as we investigate this further over the next several podcasts, I don't want to say how many, but probably 14 or 15 podcasts, some of the interpretive troubles that have developed in the body of Messiah regarding parables, obviously not all, has to do with that disconnect of language, of culture, of context, of relatability, not only between the Greek culture and the Jewish culture, but we have a disconnect of nearly 2,000 years from the time of their speaking. So that it requires that we do a little bit of thought and we do a little bit of digging in order to set ourselves as much as we can back in that day to understand with a Hebraic mind and Jewish eyes, we might say, and Jewish ears, what does it mean to speak in this and to receive uh, the depth of teaching that Messiah was delivering so that we can, again, at bring it into our faith walk and follow him faithfully. So I want to give two examples. I, <clears throat> two examples of what we might call contemporary parables. I I tried to do this in a way that was consistent with what we find in scripture, but just using a little bit more modern illustration. But uh, parables that uh, would be um, unknown, completely unknown to uh, the first century audience, and in some cases, uh, a modern third world audience. So, here are two examples. The kingdom of God is like a table lamp. If it is unplugged, it is nothing more than metal, wood, and glass. But if it is plugged into the power source, it, its light provides, excuse me, it provides light 
for all to see. My second example is the kingdom of God is like a free concert given by a radio station. Anyone who comes down to the station can have a free ticket, but no one will be admitted without a ticket. Many will come without the ticket, and the gatekeeper will say, The ticket was free, and there was plenty of tickets for everyone. But the master of the concert will not let any in without a ticket. Two examples that the ancient mind would go, hmm? what does that mean exactly? But most contemporary hearers would, would readily relate to the meaning of it. While some in the third world, you would have to tweak it just somewhat, a little bit, in order for them to understand. So both of these parables do express biblical truth that's uh, couched within modern word pictures. Because parabolic world word pictures are to bring us to a specific point. They have been compared by scholars to arrows. And I like that comparison. Dr. John Poland explains this. The parables are designed to portray a reality, and as such are much like an arrow. The feathers of the arrow represent the points of contact between reality and the picture being developed in the mind of the listener. These feathers are designed to guide the arrow. There is, however, only one point to the parable. Like the point of the arrow, the single message of the parable is meant to pierce the heart of the listener and elicit a response or require the listener to make a decision. The parable enables the listener to see things the way God sees them. So most parables that we find in the Bible follow a classic format. We can kind of kind of see the format that they use and it's it's very consistent and it does help the listener move along and receive the single point as Dr. Poland says. First we have the introduction. You know, the introduction prepares the audience, builds anticipation for the parable itself. The kingdom of God is like, well, what's what's the kingdom of God like? What's he going to say? Or to what can this matter be compared? To what can we compare this generation? What yeah, what can we compare this generation to? It builds anticipation. And then we have the introduction of the cast, the characters who are in the parable. They're critical for understanding the message, the plot, the final outcome. A man had two sons. Oh, wow, I've got two sons. And actually, I do have two sons. Then we have the plot of the story. You know, what's it about? What's, what's, what's this message here? Then we have the conflict. The conflict is the classic form that the, of the parable that introduces a major conflict in order to bring the audience to the desired conclusion. So we have the conflict resolution. The, the flow of the parable, of course, will lead the listener to a resolution of the conflict and then a call to a decision or an application. So the storyteller is describing the significance of his or her story and explaining the central theme, causing the hearer to make a decision. So I want to use a rabbinic parable as an example. This one is uh, the rabbi and the exceedingly ugly man. And you can find this in the Talmud. Uh, 
On one occasion, Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, was coming from Migdal Gabor from the house of his teacher. He was riding leisurely on his donkey by the riverside and was feeling happy and elated because he had studied much Torah, much law. Then he chanced to meet an exceedingly ugly man who greeted him. Peace be upon you, Rabbi. He, however, did not return his greeting, but instead said to him, Racha, empty one, good for nothing. How ugly you are. Is everyone in your town as ugly as you are? The man replied, I do not know, but go and tell the craftsman who made me, how ugly is the vessel which you have made? When Rabbi Eliezer realized that he had sinned, he dismounted from the donkey and prostrated himself before the man and said to him, I submit myself to you, forgive me. This single story teaches more about the love that we're to have for others others who are created in the image and likeness of the living God. More than a great homiletic exhortation, the greatest message preached from the pulpits and synagogues around the world, it's straight, it's to the point, it conveys the meaning of how we should relate to the human other and how we should not judge by appearance and how we should not Really, I'll say it this way, spit in the face of the Lord as concerns his creation and those that he's created in his image and likeness. It's a powerful parable. So, this is an example of, of, of the parables, the type of parables that we'll explore, both in rabbinic literature, but of course, the parables of Messiah Jesus, because we want to understand Yeshua. We want to understand his message. We want to be able to, again, deliver his message with clarity. We want to help people understand the message of the gospel, of the New Testament. We want to bring people to an understanding of his word and how he sees them and how he expects us to act and respond and live. So during this study, we'll be making you know, textual analysis, um, linguistic examinations, We'll examine some parallel sources that we find in the rabbinic literature and then theological considerations. So this wasn't about a specific parallel, uh, excuse me, a parable, but it was setting the stage for what we'll be studying. So this is a powerful and thought-provoking means of communicating the Word of God, communicating the truth of the Word of God that Messiah used so frequently. Because as in many cultures, the Jewish culture is filled with stories and those stories communicate history they communicate truth they communicate uh, proper action in godly context and so on but as we consider these over the next many podcasts we'll i hope that they'll perhaps change your understanding of some aspect of of the faith and of your aspect uh, understanding of some aspects of the new testament but also our responsibility in faith that each one that we consider will help lead you to a decision, lead you to a response. And in that response, that the Father in heaven would be glorified and that our Messiah would be portrayed as he is to those that we're speaking to, that we are witnessing to and sharing life with, and that through the Spirit we'll have the words to speak in season as they are needed for the person who is before us. 
That's my prayer as we consider Messiah and the parable. And we unpack from week to week examples of his parables and see how they would apply to our lives today. So I hope and pray that this new series will be a blessing to you as we go from week to week. And next week, we're going to consider holy chutzpah, holy chutzpah. And how does that apply to living faith in Messiah? Shalom, shalom. May the Lord bless and keep you all in the name of Messiah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.